Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. really have a great show today. I'm looking forward to bringing on Sheila Heen. She's a uh, conflict resolution expert. And I always love talking to her. I'm thinking of Proverbs 12:18. There is one who speaks rashly like the thrusts of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Boy, that's going to be a big verse as we have... Uh, maybe you came off the holidays and you had some uh, conversations with loved ones that didn't go so well. And maybe you're a little bit wounded. But anyway, there's going to be some good things that Sheila's going to offer. And then Pastor Brent Kuhlman's going to be joining me. And then hour two is going to be a, a full hour with Dr. Andy Scuttinga. So that's going to be uh, the today's show. Let me uh, take 60 seconds and bring on Sheila. We live in a connected world, but no advancement in technology can offer real peace, hope, or encouragement. You can use technology to stay connected to the true source of life, God, when you download the free Faith Radio Network app. The app allows you to listen to previously aired programs, read articles, and listen to the live stream. Search for Faith Radio Network in your app store to download the free Faith Radio Network app today. Connecting your faith to your everyday life. I appreciate the constant biblical knowledge. I'm a stay-at-home mom. So reading the Bible can be tough because I can't sit down and read very often. So Faith Radio is definitely my um, place to get the word. Uh, Faith Radio, just listening to the programs, it's just very much inspiration to me. We're sharing each day together on Faith Radio. Welcome to the show. So glad it's Friday. Looking forward to the weekend. And I'm mostly excited that I get a chance to talk to Sheila Heen today. She's the founder of Triad Consulting Group, and she's a lecturer on law at Harvard Law School. And I'm always uh, looking forward to chatting with her. And I think it's in her contract or my contract that she's on often on afternoons with me. So, <laughs> Sheila, welcome Perfect. back. Thank you. I'm Thank delighted you. to be back. Well, I know I love what you teach when you teach about conflict resolution, difficult conversations, how to discuss what matters most. You and your writing partner, Doug Stone, have done some brilliant work, and I just think your approach is spectacular. Oh, well, thank you for that. And I'm guessing that you and me and a lot of our listeners have just come out of the holidays having had some difficult conversations or uh, avoided some yes. difficult conversations. One, one or the other. And yes. if, if you tried to keep peace, maybe you avoided conflict. Or if you stepped into the fray, maybe you're licking your wounds right now. Yeah, that's well put. Yeah, because, Sheila, conflict is just, it's more than just a disagreement, isn't it? Well, it is often more than a disagreement, or it can feel like more than a disagreement because of how we handle it. And so it's not just the fact that we don't see eye to eye on this front or we don't have the same preferences or predictions or, you know, schedule in mind for how we're going to go about this or that. It's also that when that happens, I feel badly treated by you. 
right? Mm-hmm. You, you dismiss my concerns. You, you know, make the plan despite knowing I'm not on board. You ignore me or you shout me down, um, go around behind my back, complain to other family members. Should we keep going? Oh, no. I <laughs> We're all getting sweaty. We're all getting a little sweaty here in the studio. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so it, it, interestingly, the the coping mechanisms that we have and we learn for dealing with conflict often actually become part of the conflict itself. Mm-hmm. And Sheila, is it reasonable to suggest that a conflict uh, could involve a threat? And that, I mean, and by threat, I mean, ooh, we could lose our relationship right now. Oh, this, for sure. This could turn into something that is uh, something nobody wants, but it could. It absolutely could, and I think that's often why we avoid bringing things up. Um, and it, it's partly because we think, well, I don't want to jeopardize the relationship. I don't want this relationship to feel tense, or you know, I don't want to lose the relationship. And what's maybe harder to see is that the relationship is already in trouble, mm-hmm. right? If I'm feeling frustrated or resentful or ignored or whatever it would be, um, it's already fraying along the seams and, you know, I'm going to avoid spending too much time with you or whatever it might be. I'm going to develop workarounds for how to manage and cope in our relationship. And so the, the logic is, well, I don't want to jeopardize the relationship, but by not bringing it up, often we're jeopardizing the relationship. And instead, each time you do that frustrating thing that you constantly do or that stupid thing that I keep <laughs> telling you you yes. should not do, yes. I just get more frustrated or resentful. And then I sort of tuck that away for future use. Yeah. So yeah. fester would be a word we could use right now. It is a word that we can use. And, and often we think that we've let it go, right? Right. And then we get back together and you do it again, and my reaction is not to what you did today. My reaction is what you did today along with last the last 14 times I saw you. Right. And so to you, it feels like I'm overreacting. But actually, I am exactly correctly reacting, I will have you know. <laughs> <laughs> I figure, yep. It's just that it's to 14 iterations of this rather than just this last one. Right. Now, Sheila, you would be responding... Uh, based on your perceptions of the situation, and that may or may not have anything to do with the facts of the situation. Is that, is that fair? Yeah, it's fair. I mean, we should just we should just acknowledge that my perception of the situation is the truth. <laughs> I saw that coming. Officially, officially. <laughs> yes. Um, but but you're right, and and interestingly, it feels to each of us like what we see is what's true, right? The facts. Mm-hmm. But in that's not the way that our brain stores information. Our brain stores information in the form of stories. And so I have a story about what happened. Oh. And that story includes, you know, what I'm right about and how you behaved badly and why then this is your fault or maybe why it's my fault um, because I should have seen it coming or known better or whatever, right? But blame is going to be part of that story. And then I have a theory about why you're acting this way mm-hmm. because, you know, I know how you are. And that whole bundle of things, that feels to me like facts, but it's actually a bunch of facts that then get woven into a tapestry of a story I tell. And in my tapestry, I'm the good guy and you're the bad guy. Mm-hmm. And it, oddly enough, that's not the tapestry that hangs 
in your house right. <laughs> about our relationship. Yeah. And is that why yeah. is that why we get defensive? Because it's not yeah, the truth. It's partly it's, it's me protecting my place in the story. It is me protecting my place in the story, and and we're being genuine, meaning we're being what we would say truthful when we tell the story of what's going on or what the problem is. But it's the truth inside the world of our story, which is a, a whole novel, right? Right. And the problem is that they're not reading from our novel. They're reading from their novel. And in their novel, I'm the one who's oversensitive <laughs> and the problem mm-hmm. or, or, you know, hypercritical or whatever it would be. And they're the victim. And so the problem is that when we put those two stories together, we can't even figure out who's who. And we're each going to protest the way that we're cast by the other person. Okay. That's kind of a a sad reality, isn't it? It is sad reality, although maybe we can can cast it uh, a little bit more positively to say at least we're all in it together. Yeah, good point. Right? I mean – I do this for a living full time. It's super easy for me to see when you come to me to vent about a situation in your family or, um, you know, with your colleagues, it's super easy as an outsider for me to see what's going on. But when it's my problem, it just seems different. It's like much more complicated. Mm -hmm. So from inside our own conflicts, it's really hard to see what we can see so easily in other people's conflicts. Yeah. It's just that's part of how we're built as humans, it seems. Okay, Sheila, let's go to that room in the house that's just underneath the basement. And (laughs) in that room is what I believe is at the core of all conflicts, which is selfishness. Mm. I simply want my way. No offense. Yeah, I want my way or... So for some people, what I'm what I'm pausing to ponder is that I actually think there are some people who feel like I my whole life is about serving others and making other people happy, whether that's in my family or at work or whatever. And so, it's a slightly different riff on the selfishness that you're describing, okay. which is that we feel like I do everything for you guys, and nobody cares about me or my needs or how I'm feeling. Nobody's taking care of me. I'm taking care of everybody else. And so we can call that selfishness, but I also just think it's a deeply human desire to be seen and acknowledged and accepted. Yeah. That's why you are the expert. And I just asked the questions. <laughs> that's so true. Well, You're... we're you know, this isn't any easier really for me, which which to me is part of what makes it rich, which is that I'm always trying to actually learn what I'm also trying to teach, um, because it's a lifelong process. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about emotions, because emotions always come into play, and I think conflicts usually trip and trigger emotions faster than anything. Yeah, definitely faster than anything, and even faster than we're aware of. Um, and, you know, on the surface, it sounds like we're arguing about whatever the surface issue is. Um, maybe it's, you know, what time are we going to have dinner? Who's going to host next year? Or am I invited to the annual fill-in-the-blank? Or how come you left me out and decided this without me? Um, 
so that's the surface topic that we think this conflict is about. But pretty quickly, there's that second conflict, which is how we each feel treated by the other in how we're handling that over time. Mm-hmm. You know, when I had a really interesting conversation with a guy named Bruce Feiler, he wrote Walking the Bible. Okay. Um, and he then wrote a book a couple books later about happy families. So he came to my house for dinner and um, wanted you to serve? learn. Oh, say it again. What, what I serve? Yeah. Um, I served lots of examples for his book, apparently, <laughs> <laughs> because my two sons immediately got into an argument about a grudge that one had been holding against the other for years, uh-huh. which, of course, shows up in his book. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. So so he has twin daughters, and so we were talking about how do you handle conflict in families and what can you learn from conflict resolution ex quote unquote experts about this, right? And then my family is on full display as having conflicts. Um, but but one of the things that I think I've learned from others, other experts, is that in families it's not bad to have conflict. The important thing is to model how do you work through it? How do you disagree with someone or feel hurt or angry with someone? and then actually listen to each other, apologize for what you should apologize for, but not not for things that you shouldn't be apologizing for, just to make things peaceful again, um, because that's not genuine. Ooh, that and sounds, then find a way together. That sounds like a fine line. Let me take a little break. Sheila Heen is my guest. She's founder of Triad Consulting Group. We're going to be back in 90 seconds. Welcome back to the show. So glad to be talking to Sheila Heen again, one of my all-time faves. She's uh, uh, a consulter, a consulting expert, and she's a lecturer on law at Harvard, and she teaches negotiations and uh, conflict resolution. And we were just, before the break, Sheila, uh, we were chatting about um, some of the things you were discussing with your friend at dinner. Yeah. And so modeling it, walking it out. That's the hard thing to do, when to say I'm sorry and then when you don't have to say you're sorry. That That's a fine line. It is a fine line, and, and I, don't, I don't mean to discourage people at all from apologizing, except that I guess what I notice sometimes that can actually be destructive is that often one member of the family becomes the peacemaker and the way that they make peace is for apologizing and taking full responsibility for everyone mm. or for anything, which actually maybe has nothing to do with them. And they're letting other people off the hook from actually owning and apologizing for or understanding why what they did hurt others. And so there, it's a coping strategy, actually, that is pretty common and, and maybe is particularly common in Christian communities because we so value peace. But it's not genuine peace if we're simply quickly sweeping it under the rug um, rather than actually talking about, hey, what happened and what was your reaction to that and why did that hurt your feelings or why were you upset? Maybe I didn't understand that. 
let's actually talk it through so that we can share the responsibility for what happened and f- think about how we want to handle it differently the next time. Mm-hmm. And if you short circuit that conversation, you're basically guaranteeing that we're going to we're going to go through this dance again. We're going to see the same play over and over and it's going to yeah. have the same ending every time. Sheila, how do you have one of those groundbreaking conversations with a loved one if you've never really done it before? You've just stayed in this this conflict sort of um, place for years and years, mm. and now you have to sit down and have one of these conversations, and they've never done it. It's like asking someone to walk into a room and just start speaking Russian. Yes, indeed. Indeed. You know, it's part of the challenge is just the awkwardness. Like, we have a little groove of how we interact. Mm-hmm. And that has developed over years, sometimes decades. And stepping outside that groove in and of itself feels awkward. Even if I'm almost guaranteed to get a positive reaction, which of course isn't necessarily the case, but let's imagine I think I will get a positive reaction, but it can feel awkward just to do something different and unpredictable. Mm -hmm. And in doing that, I think one of the things to lead with is the bundle of feelings you're feeling about it. And when I say bundle, I mean um, usually in those sort of complicated long-term relationships, we have a bunch of conflicting feelings, right? We feel enormous appreciation for a bunch of things that have meant a lot to us over the years. We've felt frustrated sometimes or quickly dismissed or wondering whether they really loved us or really respected our choices or really could accept us and that that was hurtful. At the same time, it's meant a lot to us that they have kept in touch or whatever it would be, right? So I've got a bunch of feelings that feel like, well, these are conflicting feelings. So they must cancel each other out. But in fact, we hold all of them at the same time. And sharing that whole range actually makes that conversation easier, including this feels really awkward to talk about. And at the same time, it's really important to me. We call it the and stance. You're tempted to say, but it's important to me. Just say and, because both are true at the same time. And it feels really important for us to have this conversation right now, because there are some things I've never said to you that feel important to me. Sounds like like full-on confrontation. That sounds scary. It's confrontation if it has an accusatory nature and if you're not willing to also listen. So confrontation is essentially, I have a message. I'm going to come in. I'm going to deliver it. And you've got a target on your back, and then I am going to escape <laughs> as soon as possible. <laughs> the car is running out front. Okay. Yeah. If if it's instead, hey, I want to talk about something that's really important to me. I want to share what it is and why it's important. And I'm curious about your reactions and how you see it. Then that's not so much confrontation as much as an invitation. Mm-hmm. And you can't guarantee the other person will take your invitation, but simply putting it out there and and reserve judgment because they may not take it right away, but they might sit in on a little bit and then circle back mm-hmm. later. Sheila, the, you might just be so surprised. Yeah. The author, uh, Rosaria Butterfield, said the reason that Christians aren't hospitable as we should be is because we hide from conflict or the opportunity for awkwardness. Ooh. That's, good, That's a great it? observation. Yeah, it, it is, is good. good. What do you find yourself doing um, in those moments? I hide from conflict. 
because I'm okay with awkwardness because that's kind of my life. (laughs) (laughs) Awkwardness is your comfort zone? Is that what you're saying? (laughs) Yes, of course. Hence my job. Hence this conversation. You know, it's all, there's awkwardness everywhere. But it's it's conflict, which, you know, if there's the threat of loss or the threat of something that uh, I can't undo, or if I don't say it well, I fear that, uh uh-oh, I didn't say that right. Let me get that back. And then all of a sudden that ship is gone. You know, it's, it's scary. It is scary. And you're also pointing out something that I definitely sometimes feel, which is there's a sort of perfectionism or sense of self-competence. I don't Mm -hmm. mean confidence, which is also true, but competence, meaning I have to, if I'm going to raise it, I have to do it perfectly. I have to do it well. Yes. Or else if it doesn't go well, it's my fault because I handled it poorly or stupidly or whatever yep. made a bad judgment call yep. and then i feel totally responsible may sure didn't think through that very well did you yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> nice job right by the way <clears throat> you know be someone who's written a book on difficult conversations and see how that feels oh, oh yeah that's even difficult worse conversations yeah you know nice work so just to end on a happy note conflicts are, are going to be a great opportunity for growth aren't they they're a great opportunity for growth. They're inevitable in relationships, and they really there's a, a way in which how we handle them is the relationship. It's not just that we have conflicts in our relationships. How we handle them actually drives. It's where the rubber meets the road, and that's that's what drives whether the relationship strengthens and thrives um, or whether it starts to fray. Mm-hmm. So is the 10th anniversary of... Difficult conversations. When did that happen? About ten years ago now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a fa- fantastic book, and people should read it. They should have it on their nightstand, and they should have it in the library. I'm well, not saying buy really them. I'm not saying nice buy more than one copy, but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Well, and also, you mentioned the 10th anniversary. On the 10th anniversary, we actually put out a new edition, the 2010 edition, and yeah. we added questions people ask to the back. Uh-huh. Questions like, well, what if they really are crazy? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, some of some of your listeners may want to turn straight to that question. <laughs> yeah. And thanks for the feedback. Um, the Science and Art of Receiving Feedback Well. That's another great book. So. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know I'm a fan. Five years. Sheila, you that. know I'm a fan. You know that. Oh, uh, well, thank you very much. And And as we turn into this new year, thinking about what are the conversations – or relationships where I really want to change something and want to, where do I want to invest a little bit of time and effort to make them just a little bit better is definitely one of the things that I'm thinking about. And I imagine you are too. Uh, indeed I am. It's always on, always on my mind. So do come back and, and talk again sometime soon. Maybe this you winter bet. again. For sure. All right. Thank you, Sheila. Have a great day. You too. Talk yep. to you soon. Yep. Sheila Heen's been my guest. Uh, she's founder of Triad Consulting Group and a lecturer at law at Harvard. And uh, her books are available online. Thanks for the feedback and difficult conversations, how to discuss what matters most. We'll take a short break and we'll be back with lots more.
I'm awfully glad to be welcoming back to the program Pastor Brent Kuhlman. He is the pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Murdoch, Nebraska, and uh, was on the show a number of times last year and just became a favorite quickly. Brent, welcome back. Bill, great to be with you. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. It's one of those easy things to say, and you can say it to everybody. And <laughs> it's, uh, it's such it's a happy thought, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Lots to be uh, lots to be uh, glad about with the yeah, Lord's giving. That's for sure. That is so true. Now, have you? Uh, do you have a, a plan in order this year for how you're going to go about uh, your quiet time? And uh, did you make any any new resolutions? I don't even like the word resolution. I just think, <laughs> what are you going to do to make your life better? <laughs> well, <laughs> biblically speaking, it's the life of repentance and faith and holy living. It's it's the constant dying to sin, fighting against your sin, the world and the devil trusting in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And then, you know, saying, you know what, I'm, I'm going to live according to God's Word, not mine anymore, because uh, he's, he's got it right, not me. <laughs> One of the many things I like about you, Brent, you just tell it like it is. I love it. <laughs> so I was, I was perusing your blog, which, by the way, is quite good, and um, you were recently in December uh, talking about the exercise or training in godliness from 1 Timothy 4. Oh, yes. Give us a little of that. If it's oh, fresh, this, this, fresh enough on your mind. Oh yeah, this is this is huge in <laughs> Paul's letters. Yes, in First and Second Timothy and Titus. Now, what you're referring to is First Timothy four. Yes, I am. My memory serves. Yes, exercising or training yourself in godliness. Yes. Now we read this translation in the English, and anytime you hear the word exercise or train, you think that that's something that you have to be actively doing. Now, notice my stress was on actively doing. Because, you know, when you go to the gym and you train or exercise, you're actively doing something, right? Mm -hmm. But Paul means something different here. When he tells Timothy to, to be exercised or to be trained in godliness, it means to receive, to receive God and his word and his gifts. This is the discipline. This is the exercise. It's being passive first and foremost. If you're connecting the dots here, passive, where God speaks in his word, he says you're a sinner, and you say amen to that. Mm-hmm. And by the way, that's a, that's a work of the Holy Spirit. Let's not forget this. I can't, I can't emphasize this enough. Hardly anybody does. But Jesus does. You remember in John's Gospel, he says that when he sends the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will convict the world with regard to their what? Their guilt and sin. Mm-hmm. So when God, God through his word says, you're a sinner, you say, amen. When God in his word says the wages of sin is death, not just physical, but spiritual death, that means eternal damnation in hell, we say, amen. We don't argue. We don't try and justify ourselves anymore. And then when he says another word, from his word, the word of gospel, which says, now I sent my son to die for you and answer for all your sin and propitiate my wrath and to conquer the grave and Satan for you, you say, amen. Now, people might be hearing this and saying, is this what Paul's really talking about when he tells Timothy to to train and be exercised in godliness? Yes. To be a godly person, according to this text, is first and foremost to let God have his way with you, to kill your old sinful flesh, and then to raise up a new creation, spelled F-A-I-T-H, a believer, a truster, a hanger-on of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now, this is important because, Bill, you know as well as I do, and no doubt our listeners do too. We, we're all members of congregations, Christian congregations. And what is, what's one of the common things that we have to deal with in congregations is apathy to the Word of God, indifference to the Word of God, sometimes outright rejection to the Word of God, thinking that that's not important. But it is. Mm, so to be godly, to, yeah. be, to be trained in godliness, to be exercised in godliness is, I'm going to switch it all around again, is that God trains you. God exercise you, exercises you in a discipline, which is listening first and foremost, and trusting what he says about you in his law and gospel. And I hope that's helpful for people. It's very helpful, Brent. So is our job to be listening and receiving? Primarily. Okay. See, this, this is the thing as a Christian. And why is this important? Because to be a creature is to be given to. To be a human being is to be given to. Check it out in Genesis. Read Genesis 1. Who's doing all the talking? It's God. Mm-hmm. Read, read Genesis 2. Who's, who's doing all the talking and giving? It's God. And it's Adam and Eve that are, are given to by the Lord and receive. And so Adam and Eve in the garden in Genesis 1 and 2 are, are human beings, first and foremost, by living by faith. And faith, first and foremost, but not only, but first and foremost, is about being passively given to by the Lord. That's why Adam and Eve were creatures. They weren't the creator. And then in Genesis 3, they ruin it all, don't they? Mm-hmm. You shall be as, oh, well, then, then it's all ruined. And see, this is, this, is, this is why Christmas is so important, if I may. You know, the, the, the gospel reading for Christmas Day that's always assigned to us in the Lutheran Church is John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. And if, if our listeners remember, and if you remember too, Bill, there, there's a number of times that in, in those first verses in John's gospel, talks about us being reborn. Remember that? Mm-hmm. All right. And reborn not by the will of man, but by the will of God. What I'm trying to say is that Adam blew it for everybody. He didn't want to be a human, didn't want to live by faith. And so Jesus is born then, as the Christmas hymn says, to give us second birth, like John's gospel says in, in, in chapter 1. Which means, what, is, what does it mean to be reborn? It means to finally live as what? A human being. And let's not forget that twice Paul does this in Romans 1, And in his letter to the Galatians, he says that the justified live how? By faith. By faith. By faith. Which is what I'm trying to say here, with the godly being exercised and trained for godliness, is to live by faith. First and foremost, to be passive. Now, does that mean that we don't do anything? Of course not. But when it comes to our salvation, God does it all in his son, Jesus Christ. His giving of Jesus on the cross, his giving of Christ's forgiveness in the gospel, then has its way with us. So we are given to first, and then his word of forgiveness has its way with us, and then we are very active. Not to get saved, we already are in Christ, but we are very active in love in taking care of other people. That is to say, living sacrificially. Remember Romans 12? Mm-hmm. You know, we offer our bodies as living sacrifices. And so, again, just to reemphasize, when you ask the question, 
what was it again? Are, are we supposed to be passive? Is that what you asked? Uh, no, are we supposed to just listen and receive? Oh, yes, yes. Yes, for, and it's not just only, but it's, it's first. That's the first thing you do, mm-hmm. so that you can be active properly. The Say more problem about that. with the old Adam, well, to be active properly is we don't, we don't do works to earn merit before God mm-hmm. or to get saved. See, that's the old, that's the old Adamic, sinful right. way. Okay, that's the old medieval church way, and still this day in most churches. But to be properly active is is to let faith work through love to take care of people, like Jesus did. Remember in Matthew twenty, the the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and then he gives his life salvifically. Now, in a similar way, we as Christians, we now live sacrificially like Christ in the sense of taking care of people. We live not to be served, but to serve, and to sacrificially live for the sake of others. So notice what I'm doing here. There's passive listening first, passively receiving from the Lord, and then his gifts, his gospel, have their way with us, they enliven us, so that we are active properly in the way that I've just described. I just, I love that, Brent. I love the idea that God has his way with us. Like we've completely turned ourselves over and have surrendered to him, and he, he now has his way with us. Right, beautiful. right. It's a beautiful, beautiful thought. Well, this is, this is so important because, again, the old Adam says, no, thank you, I'll be in charge. Mm-hmm. Do you, you remember uh, King Ahaz, when, when Isaiah in chapter 7 was sent to King Ahaz and said, you know, you know, trust the Lord. Why don't you trust the Lord once in your life? I'm paraphrasing, you know. <laughs> why don't you for the first time in your life, Ahaz, trust the Lord, be given to, be passive. The Lord will take care of you. You know, your enemies who are planning to attack you and destroy your kingdom, you know, Pika and Rezin, mm-hmm. there'll, there'll be no more. Just trust the Lord. And I'll give you a tangible sign. Remember, God says through Isaiah, I'll give you a tangible sign. What's the tangible sign? Well, the virgin will... What conceive and give birth to a son, and his name will be Emmanuel. You remember what I remember what Ahaz said about God saying through Isaiah, "Look, I'll give you a promise." Remember what Ahaz said? Oh no, thank you. I wouldn't dare test the Lord on that one. You know. But, <laughs> remember, my point is this: Ahaz would not live by faith. He wouldn't be given to. See, this is all of our problem. That when I say all of our problem, I mean all of our sinful nature all of our old Adamic problem that we have to battle against every day is when the Lord says, I want to talk to you. Sit down. Be quiet. I want to talk to you. Listen to me. And we say, oh, no, I can't do that. I wouldn't dare do that. Or to put it another way, Ahaz wouldn't be served by the Lord with the promise of the coming Christ. And therefore, no faith. There was no active love, properly speaking, with Ahaz either. He was a very evil king, wasn't he? Mm -hmm. Very evil. So I want to jump back to 1 Timothy 4, and in the first verse it says, The Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Yikes. I feel like, yes. we're, I feel like we're seeing that all over the place right now. Yes, absolutely. Um, and I think it's that, that same chapter. I don't have it in front of me, but... Part of living in the end times is that these false teachers, they have the appearance of what? Do you remember? Of godliness. Okay. But not the content. And notice the connection between what we're talking about from the beginning of our program. 
Is that in First Timothy four? I'm, I don't have my Bible in front of me. I'm doing it off the top of my head. Yeah, that's First Timothy four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you'll notice that the false teachers, as we live in these end times, they appear very godly. And notice they've got it all wrong. Let me illustrate. Sometimes when I go to meetings, not just in the Missouri Synod, but elsewhere, all throughout the church, there'll be these people who will be dressed to the nines in clerical collars, you know, purple clerical shirts, mm-hmm. pectoral. And that, by the way, I'm not against this stuff necessarily, but just run with it, okay? Okay. <laughs> they, wear, they, they, wear, they wear the purple uh, 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 shirts. They wear the pectoral crosses. They have the miters, and they have the croziers, and they walk all erect. And people see these folks, and they say, oh, that must be a man of God. Look at how he looks, because he has the appearance of what? Godliness. The appearance of godliness. But yes. when you listen to them talk, oh, my goodness, when you listen to them talk, what's the first thing they take away? The very first thing they take away is salvation by faith alone in Jesus Christ. And that is all of what we're talking about today. To be saved is to be passive, to be passively given to by the Lord. This is the training and exercise of godliness, is to let God save you. But these people have the appearance of godliness, and the first thing they take away is salvation by faith alone. Seriously, if you listen to the Roman Catholic Church today, they'll say, oh, we're all for faith. We're not against faith. But you can't say that faith alone in Jesus saves you. Come on, get over that. That's, that's, but that's what the Bible teaches. And you know, like in our past uh, times when we've talked, we talked about the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, and, and most of the Lutherans in the world with the Lutheran World Federation, they have all given up, what, the doctrine, the, the basic, fundamental biblical teaching that sinners are justified before God through the death of Christ, and that through faith in Christ, a person is saved. They've given that up completely. Wow. Have you noticed this? I did. So what I've done... What I've done is I've taken the First Timothy, First Timothy four passage, being, being trained or exercised in godliness. It has to it has to primarily do with what being justified by faith alone in Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. being given to by Him. And this is the training. This is the exercise. The high pastoral care that people give give their their congregations is trust Jesus alone for salvation. Fantastic. That's godly. Yeah, that is. All right, let me take a little break. Pastor Brent Kuhlman is my guest. He's the uh, pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Murdoch, Nebraska. We'll be right back in 90 seconds. is Pastor Brent Kuhlman. He's the pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Murdoch, Nebraska. And Brent, I was just thinking over the break, you know, when you talk about the the appearance of godliness, I think we all struggle with that a little bit, don't we, as we show up at church and we try to let everyone see that life is great when maybe it's not. Yeah, and I think this is what we're talking about is, is really important because here's, here's the thing, is that take a look at Titus 2, verses 11 to 12. This, this training or exercise in godliness is by God's grace, according to Titus 2. I'm going to read it. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. There's the gospel. Training us to do what? To renounce ungodliness and worldly passions 
This would be repentance. Mm-hmm. And to live self-controlled and uh, self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Now, notice the training um, and the living is by the what, according to the verse? By the grace of God. And because of salvation has been brought for all people in Christ. Now, why is this important? It's because of what you just said. People, when they think about these things, always reference themselves. Mm-hmm. In other words, look at me. Look at what I've done, <laughs> or look what I right. haven't done. And therefore, they think they're godly. Uh, godliness has to do with being trained by the grace of God, which means what I said before we, we broke. Um, trusting in the Lord Jesus who died for you, the sinner. And so this is a, this is a, a piety, if you will, if I can use that term, in a good way. This is a piety that's in the way of grace or the gospel, not in the way of our performance. I'm going to say that again in a, maybe in a little bit different way. Okay. Um, this being trained or exercised is all in the way of God giving you gifts so that you trust in his giving and his word and not on your performance. I like that. So, so God, God disciplines us. And, when I, and people hear the word discipline, and I have, to, I have to say what I mean by that, because there's two ways to talk about discipline. One, of course, is like you know, spanking, you know? Mm-hmm. but that's not what's being talked about here. So like if I go to law school and I want to be a lawyer, I have to learn the discipline of the law. If I go to medical school to be a doctor, I have to learn the discipline of medicine. So being a Christian means I have to be disciplined in the way of God's disciplining us, namely to repent and to believe and to live according to his word, instead of our own self-invented ways of imposing our own discipline. Bottom line here, why is this important? Because when it's the Lord's giving, when it's the Lord's doing, that you can trust. So when God says, you're holy because I holied you in Jesus Christ. That's certain and sure. What's uncertain and sure is if Kuhlman starts saying, you know what, I'm holy, Bill, because I quit smoking last week. <laughs> By the way, I don't smoke. But, or if I said, you know what, Bill, I'm holy because, you know, I'm not perfect, but I'm sure, surely better than you are, Bill. Right. That's never certain and sure. Right. Because I'm referencing myself. Yeah, or I'm holy because I don't know if... Paul, yeah, Paul would reference us always to God and his giving yeah. when it comes to this stuff. Yeah. Boy, we stay so self-focused, don't we? Yeah, and, and this, is, this is why Jesus tells that parable in Luke's Gospel, where you got one guy who goes and prays, and what's he say? Well, I'm thankful I ain't like this guy over here who does blank, 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 and blank. And then the other guy you know, beats his breast and says, be merciful to me, a sinner. Mm-hmm. And what's Jesus say? That guy went home justified. The one who said, be merciful to me, I am a sinner. Yeah, well, it seems that every time I open a uh, a magazine or read an article, the whole idea of God being holy and sin being uh, something that will send you to hell just keeps getting pushed further down uh, the list of what's important. Right, and holiness is is huge in the scriptures. It is huge. Um, Yeah, who who talks uh, about it, Brent? Uh, not very many people. Not many people know this uh, this biblical teaching. And what's what's great about this, Bill, is that God, who is holy, and you remember what Jesus in Mark's gospel, when he encounters the demons, 
they know exactly who he is. And notice this, the Holy One of God. Mm -hmm. So God's holy. Christ is holy. We're sinners. We're impure, polluted with sin, etc. And we can have no communion or fellowship with God in this state. So what does God do? He sends his son, Jesus Christ, the Holy One, the sinless one. And he takes our sin and all of its pollution, all the rot and the filth and gunk of it all, and he takes it and answers for it on the cross. And as Paul says, he who knew no sin was made to be sin, or as he says in Galatians, he was made to be a curse. And what does he do then? He gives us his holiness. He gives us his holiness. Now, how does he do that? Through the word of the gospel. And so God is the one who actually then holies us. This has been lost. And I think this is why churches aren't growing in, in the United States, but they are growing elsewhere, all throughout the world. They're, when I travel all across the world, these Christians that I talk to, they understand what, what I just mentioned. So they preach the law with all of its full strength to kill the old Adam, the sinner, and then they preach the gospel. And in this particular way that I just mentioned, with God actually bestowing and giving to the unholy his holiness, so that we can now have what? Fellowship. This is precisely why in Luke's gospel, and of course in the other evangelists, this is why Jesus is always hanging around with unholy people, because he's come to take their sin, carry it to Calvary, answer for it, and then bestow his holiness. You know what, if I may... One of the most remarkable scenes in the New Testament, I think it's Luke chapter 7, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's when Jesus, he's, he's walking, and there's a funeral procession outside the city of Nain. Mm-hmm. And Jesus goes right up to the what? He goes right up to the casket. Yep. And what's he do? He touches it. Now, if you're, if you're schooled in the Old Testament, you're horrified, because the Old Testament said that if you touch something that's dead— you're now, what, impure, mm-hmm. and you are now excluded for a while from the worshiping community, from God's presence and fellowship. And the point is, is that Jesus, the Holy One, by touching the casket that contains the corpse, is now giving us, if you will, we talked about, you know, Isaiah 7, he's giving us a tangible sign <laughs> and saying, look, folks, I, the Holy One, have come to take on the unholiness of all sin and death and hell. I'm going to take it in my body, and I'm going to answer for it on the cross. And just to show you how this works, hey, little boy, get up. And he raises him from the dead. This is what the Holy One gives. He bestows his holiness to unholy people. Now, you see, this, this is remarkable in another way, Bill, because most Christians, and I'm talking about Roman Catholic Christians, know their stuff. And Eastern Orthodox Christians, you know their stuff. This, this, this just doesn't work for them because, see, uh, they talk about salvation in terms of a process, a total process. And so we're always working on our salvation, trying to become holy through our works with the help of God's grace. Well, I got news for you. You already are holy in Christ Jesus. When you're outside of Christ, then you're not holy. How are you in Jesus? By faith. This is why Paul, when he writes his letters, like to the Corinthians, for example, remember, how does he begin his letter? And these are a bunch of sinners. He calls them what? Saints. Mm-hmm. Have you noticed this? I have. Well, you'll, you'll notice he, does, he references their holiness. Literally, it's holy ones in the Greek to the holy ones here at Corinth. Mm-hmm. They're holy ones because they're in Christ by faith. 
Brent, now, are they sinners? Of course they are. Yeah. And they need to be repented in faith. Yeah. But, uh, we seem to forget who we are in Christ, don't we? Yes. It's no wonder that uh, uh, people are a mess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because you really don't know who you are until you know who you are in Christ. Exactly. And this is truth you have to understand and embrace and then tell yourself all the time. Yeah, and that's why Paul says that you live by faith. Right. The justified lives by faith. Faith right. in that promise. Yeah. Oh, that's a fascinating uh, study and a, a brilliant reminder that God makes us holy. And that is uh, a great thought to uh, end our discussion on today, Brent. Good, good. Thank you so much for having me, Bill. I love having you on the show. You're just uh, a great resource, and I love uh, contributions you make to the show, and I always look forward to having you on. Hope to hear from you soon. Uh, you will indeed. Brent Kuhlman. Peace, Lord be with you. Lord be with you. Brent Kuhlman has been my guest. Uh, he's the pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Murdoch, Nebraska. We'll take a little break, and we'll be up uh, with hour two. Andy Scudinger is going to be my guest uh, the whole hour. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.